New York City because I do not want any of you terrorists next to me while I'm eating a meal, okay? And of course, the least vaccinated by race are cis white men. What a surprise because they're professionals at killing people. Don't believe me? Let's look at the numbers. 50% of whites are not vaccinated. Yuck. 70% of blacks, my brothers and sisters, are doing the right thing. 70% are not, are not vaccinated. Wait a minute. 70% of blacks are not vaccinated, so they're not allowed in bars, restaurants, or movie theaters. Okay, black lives matter, but just maybe 30% of them right at the... Climate change is real. Some humor for you. So old Tyler Fisher, he's got 104,000 subscribers. The guy's doing a great... blood samples of all of them. Oh, some good work, Naomi. Thank you, sir. Double O what? What are they? They're... They're nanobots. Right. Microscopic bio-robots that can enter your system by the slightest contact with your skin. programmed with DNA to target specific individuals. Heracles was, it was designed to be the most efficient weapon in our arsenal, passing through people harmlessly before reaching its intended target. But Obrichev modified the nanobots so they can kill anyone related to the target. Anyone? Well, since it's DNA based with further modifications, yes. Families, certain genetic traits, single nucleotide variants and polymorphisms that could target a range from individuals to whole ethnicities. You infect enough people and the people become the weapon. It was never intended to be a weapon of mass destruction. Interesting, right? Now they so my daughter had COVID-19 last year, well-documented case. Uh, she's in her 20s. She didn't require extensive treatment. She had uh, a bit of a sinusitis on the back end, needed some antibiotics to get through it. Okay, she's fine. So she's COVID recovered. Now she wants to go home to a congregate setting and now she has cold symptoms again. And so there was great concern that, you know, get a test, get a COVID-19 test. Uh, but she knows she's COVID recovered. She, she is protected against COVID-19. So uh, she succumbs to the family pressure and she, she delays her flights and then she gets a test on day one. It's negative. And then on day two, she's still sick. She's got a cold. She gets another test. And each test, by the way, takes like two days to come back. So the test on day two, she's positive. And then on test on day three, she's negative again. So the question is, does she have a reinfection of COVID-19 or is that a false positive? And the answer is clinically, it's a false positive. And so that's what we're seeing now. We have so many patients who write in and say, Dr. McCullough, I got COVID-19 a second time. I know I did. And I said, well, tell me the context. And invariably, it's a false positive test. We now know, uh, work done by Bruce Patterson, that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the remnants of the virus, stay in the human body for a year and a half. So it's no surprise that some people intermittently test positive for a long time afterwards. Remember, the primers for the PCR test are the polymerase the spike protein, the, um, the, the genetic code for the, the preliminaries, the spike protein, the nucleocapsid, the envelope protein. So it's not uh, far-fetched to think that there are some residual strands of nucleic acids that could trigger the PCR being positive. Uh, and then my daughter showed me the results and I looked and the PCR cycle threshold was 37. Remember that a higher cycle threshold, the more, much more likely it is to be a false positive. 
under 28, uh, that's the real deal. You're much more likely to have really COVID-19. So now we've heard a wave of NFL players, a wave of NHL players who are, quote, testing positive, yet nobody's in the hospital or sick. I think what we're having is we're having a lot of false positivity. And so what the NHL has done is they've doubled down on it and said they're going to do more testing. So now they're going to do daily testing. So it's going to generate even more false positives. And you can see what a vicious cycle is. I want everybody to understand the tests are only for people who are susceptible to COVID-19 and they have the characteristic signs and symptoms. The tests are only FDA cleared for use in acutely sick people. We should not be keep testing large populations over and over again. We're going to get into a cycle like the NHL and the NFL where we generate lots of false positives. Yep, so he's just... So that's funny because when I had COVID myself and oh my God, they've tested me so much and like I was over the virus and was still testing positive. Yeah, I bet they were cycling it at that time. It was in 2020. They were cycling them at 40 or something. The the guy who made the test, remember he said they were never to be diagnostic. It's just absurd. We test people that have signs and symptoms. If you have symptoms of it, then sure, we be, we should be cautious. But if you have no symptoms, why the hell are we testing people? It's absurd. And then in the beginning of the, I thought it was interesting to share those clips to um, the funny guy who just, if you have, if your eyes are open to see some of the, the bullshit that's coming out, you have to just go, oh my gosh. The rest of this episode, I'm going to go back to transdermal magnesium. This book is so good that everybody should be on transdermal magnesium as I keep reading this and doing it to myself. I'm going, wow, 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 wow. I'm also going to go back into Revelations. Um, chapter one is in another episode, so I won't, we won't re-listen to the chapter one. We'll listen to Chuck Missler more and uh, chapter one of Revelations. So I have just bits and pieces of what I share in this podcast. I always do. I thought it's inter- interesting um, knowledge base to understand what the heck is going on in this world and then share what I'm finding on my platform. On the 5th of November, my fiance Rory and I headed to town to join our new bank as we had just purchased our dream home. We were buzzing. We then celebrated our biggest achievement by going out for breakfast. On the way back to the car, we walked past a pharmacy that was doing walk-in vaccinations and thought, why not? We had our wedding coming up in March and I had booked a honeymoon on the West Coast as a surprise to Rory. Those were some of the reasons behind our decision, but mostly we thought we were doing what was right for our country and trusted the government was doing right by us. This decision would change our lives forever. Over the next few days, Rory had palpitations and a racing heart on and off. Rory was the type of guy who lived on the bright side of life and never complained. He downplayed his symptoms so as not to worry his loved ones and probably himself. On the morning of the 17th of November at 3 a.m., I heard Rory get out of bed and knew instantly that something was wrong. We agreed together that we needed to go to the hospital and get help. I put on my jacket and Rory went to the bathroom. Within seconds, 
I heard Rory gasp for air, a loud groan, and his body dropped to the floor. I ran to the bathroom, desperately trying to get in, but I couldn't get to my partner as his body weight was against the door. I watched as the medics performed CPR, gave multiple shots of adrenaline, and used the defibrillator for 40 long minutes. There was no sign of life for that 40 minutes, and my 26-year-old husband-to-be was pronounced dead. A couple of days later, I found some Google searches on his phone and a screenshot about myocarditis. This was from... So as you... ...and the deadly corruption pervading our global health organizations. To get to the bottom of these questions, as well as many others, I've spent the last several weeks interviewing scholars from all over the world, among them top doctors, distinguished scientists, and Nobel laureates. I also sat down with Dr. Judy for a follow-up interview and to give her the opportunity to respond to critics. You can see that full interview on the Plandemic website. While you're there, make sure to dive down the rabbit hole where you'll find additional videos, documents, and scientific studies that support the claims and perspectives put forth in the Plandemic series. Here are a few highlights from my follow-up interview with Dr. Judy. What do you have to say to the people who have tried to minimize your involvement with HIV by stating that you were at the bottom of the totem pole, 13th author of a 13-member group of scientists? <laughs> well, the 13th author is the senior author, so that means they're the most important author. Why did you agree to retract your own XMRV paper? The paper was actually force retracted. I was actually being held in jail. You told me that you had financial offers to remain silent. If you simply say you made a mistake and promise never to say another word, you can keep everything. You'll get all of your grants. You'll get everything back, millions of dollars. You'll get publication and funding. My lawyer said, that's the best offer you're going to get. I said, you don't understand me. I don't need an offer. I've already lost everything. If I thought even one child or one grandma was injured or killed because I didn't do something, that would have ended my life as I know it. There was no money you could ever pay me to get me to cover this up. I will never stop telling the truth. I'm the developer of linguistic genomics, which was the first platform on which you could determine the intent of communication rather than the literal artifact of communication. But we've also used that technology for a number of other applications in defense and intelligence and finance. And most notably, in the early 2000s, my company was responsible for bringing down what was at the time one of the largest tax frauds in US history. We maintained a series of inquiries into every individual, every organization, and every company that is involved in anything that either blurs the line of biological and chemical weapons or crosses that line in any of 168 countries. In 1999, there were a million patents digitized by IBM. And those million patents were the first time human innovation had been put into an electronic digital searchable format. 
We took that information and we did a very simple exercise using our linguistic genomics technology. I made the horrific assessment that approximately one third of all patents filed in the United States were functional forgeries, meaning that while they had linguistic variations, they actually covered the same subject matter. In 1999, patents on coronavirus started showing up and thus began the rabbit trail. March 2003, panic grips Hong Kong as a deadly new virus sweeps through the city. In 2003, the Center for Disease Control saw the possibility of a gold strike. And that was the coronavirus outbreak that happened in Asia. They saw that a virus they knew could be easily manipulated was something that was very valuable. And in 2003, they sought to patent it. And they made sure that they controlled the proprietary rights to the disease, to the virus, and to its detection, and all of the measurement of it. We know that Anthony Fauci, that Ralph Barrick, that the Center for Disease Control, and the laundry list of people who wanted to take credit for inventing coronavirus, were at the hub of this story. From 2003 to 2018, they controlled 100% of the cash flow that built the empire around the industrial complex of coronavirus. The World Health Organization has officially named the, the new novel coronavirus, coronavirus the sweeping novel coronavirus the country. Coronavirus the, outbreak. Outbreak. Coronavirus the World Health Organization has declared an international public health pandemic. emergency. While we know that the coronavirus manipulation started with Dr. Ralph Barrick in 1999. The major characteristics of SARS, MERS, and SARS coronavirus too, it's a good way for you Ralph Barrick is the researcher at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, who's famous for his chimeric coronavirus research. In 2002, there was a recognition that the coronavirus was seen as an exploitable mechanism for both good and ill. On April the 25th, 2003, the U.S. Center for Disease Control filed a patent on the coronavirus transmitted to humans. Under 35 U.S. Code Section 101, nature is prohibited from being patented. Either SARS coronavirus was manufactured, therefore making a patent on it legal, or it was natural, therefore making a patent on it illegal. If it was manufactured, it was a violation of biological and chemical weapons, treaties and laws. If it was natural, filing a patent on it was illegal. In either outcome, both are illegal. In the spring of 2007, the CDC filed a petition with the patent office to keep their application confidential and private. They actually filed patents on not only the virus, but they also filed patents on its detection and a kit to measure it. Because of that CDC patent, they had the ability to control who was authorized and who was not authorized to make independent inquiries into coronavirus. You cannot look at the virus, you cannot measure it, you cannot develop a test kit for it. And by ultimately receiving the patents that constrained anyone from using it, they had the means, they had the motive, and most of all, they had the monetary gain from turning coronavirus from a pathogen 
to profit. Developing and owning a coronavirus vaccine has become a biotech arms race with political overtones. This vaccine gold rush is starting to bother me. The gold rush? Hmm. Let's keep that in mind. And so somewhere between 2012 and 2013, something happened. The federal funding for research that was feeding into places like Harvard, Emory, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, that funding suddenly became impaired by something that happened at the NIH, where the NIH got this little tiny moment of clarity and said, I think something we're doing is wrong. And in 2013, the NIH said, gain-of-function research on coronavirus should be suspended. The National Institutes of Health had a moral and social and potentially legal reason to object to research. But the letters that were sent to the researchers essentially said, you are receiving notice that we're telling you to stop. And now on the bottom of the page, we're gonna clarify what stop means. Keep going. But when the heat gets hot in 2014 and 15, what do you do? You offshore the research. You fund the Wuhan Institute of Virology to do the stuff that sounds like it's getting a little. Okay, so you might have seen this. It's all out there. This whole movie, you can go to that website, The Pandemic, and watch it all. But it, it, it makes you think, it certainly makes me think that um, there's so much evidence out there. And every, if I'm easily finding all of this and able to put it on my platform, you can go down the rabbit hole on DuckDuckGo, not Google, and find the stuff yourself and know we're living in two different realities right this moment. A reality where people either believe that masking and vaccines are helpful or people that know that they are straight a huge evil sick agenda is happening globally and uh, I think thousands of millions are dying either by a bioweapon named COVID-19 or a bioweapon by the vaccine and um, if you grasp what I'm grasping and you live in the reality that I see it and if you don't go do your own research go do your own research don't take what I'm saying anything that you hear on my platform as gospel go do your own research on anything I talk about natural healing anything that I share it's all what I have just found do your own investigation don't trust the media on the TV um, so anyways I have to just take what all that said and then go back to what the Bible says so we'll go back to Chuck Mistler, I'm going to find that. But I thought I would just throw in here and there um, a little bit of the book um, Transdermal Magnesium and this great, amazing things, natural healing, such as having magnesium, enough magnesium in your body does. Magnesium literally puts a chill on inflammation, especially when used transdermally. Heart disease begins with inflammation, chemicals that um, rage like fire through your blood vessels. The cooling heat getting um, recommended daily 
minimal magnesium suggests that the Medical University of South Carolina researchers said they measured blood inflammation levels using the C-reactive protein, testing 3,800 men and women and found those that got less than 50% of their magnesium almost three times likely to have a dangerously high CRP levels. Interesting, interesting study. Magnesium intake in total females, health professionals who were younger than 45 had not had heart attacks or blood vessel disease, strokes, or cancers in a study of 2005. Um, women who get more magnesium in their diet they're less likely to have metabolic syndrome, inflammation in their body, heart and blood vessel disease. Women who have the highest magnesium intake, uh, 12%, um, have lower C-reactive protein levels, lower inflammation. Chronic inflammation destroys cholesterol deposits and coronary artery and leads to heart attacks and strokes. That's just one page of everything that I've been reading. This book just goes into massive detail so massive detail okay so i don't like making my episodes super long i'm at 20 minutes and i want you to hear about a little bit of chuck missler but i just had to throw that all in let's see that's chapter one of the book of revelation give you a flavor as we kick it off here one of the most incredible books in the Bible it's the only book of the Bible that has the audacity to say read me I'm special I know of no other book in the Bible that calls you to read it specifically many admonitions to read the Bible in general but only one book rises above that and says hey read this one and you get a special blessing and you will. That's why we're together. That blessing will take several forms. We'll talk about that. But it's, it's, it, God is faithful, and you'll watch what happens. Another item I'd like to mention just right up front, this is one of those studies that is very strange because it is often avoided by people who have spent a lot of time in their Bible. Many pastors won't teach on it. They're uncomfortable with the book, and they have their reasons. Well, there's lots of viewpoints and so forth. One of the reasons, not necessarily always applicable, but one of the reasons is it does highlight one's lack of insight into the Old Testament. And we'll show you why as we go. But having said that, it is a book that promises a blessing, and it also strangely, even though it is, it is avoided by many so-called experts, it is a fabulous book for the new believer. That shocks many people. Many people say, gee, I haven't been in my Bible. Where should I start? Some people point to the Gospel of John. That's a good, safe beginning. Others will say, start at Genesis. That's a, that'll join some issues right up front. That's great. But many I advise, jump in Revelation, and it surprises them. And you'll see why as we get into it. It's such a rewarding study. But uh, I encourage you to, to encourage new believers to join in this study. And let's move on. First, I want you to notice... The title of the book is singular, not plural. How often I hear even pastors or people at the, in the public office especially will say revelations, plural, which means they've never read it. They've never even read the first sentence. And they, they assume because it's got all these visions and things, it's lots of revelations. No, that's not. It's a singular revelation. It's singular, not plural. 
The word apocalypsis is a noun. It shows up over 19 times. It means revelation. That is to unveil is what it really means. It's the unveiling. And uh, as a noun, it occur, uh, it's 19 times. As a verb, it's 26 times to reveal and to unveil, if you will. So now, as we look at the New Testament, we realize there are five historical books, four gospels in the book of Acts, Luke volume 1 and volume 2. And then there are a group of epistles. Most people would list 14 Pauline epistles, setting aside the dispute about Romans for the moment, uh, Hebrews for the moment. There are 14 Pauline epistles, and there are seven sometimes called general epistles, or more precisely, the Hebrew Christian epistles. So if, if somebody asked you how many epistles are in the New Testament, most people answer 21. 14 Pauline and seven general ones. That overlooks the seven most important. There are seven epistles in the New Testament written by Jesus Christ himself. And that's, they're contained in, in fact, the book of Revelation is like a cover letter that goes to these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Many of these churches you may have never heard of except from this book. And what's rather astonishing as you start thinking about it are the ones that are not listed. Where's the church at Jerusalem? Where's the church at Rome? Even a superficial knowledge of the New Testament would cause you to list a handful of churches that are not listed here. And one of the questions I'm going to have you research between now and our next session is to reflect and be able to respond to why these seven. That, why did Jesus pick these particular seven? And therein lies some very fascinating discoveries. The scripture, John 16, tells us that he shall glorify me. The Old Testament glorifies Jesus Christ in prophecy. The whole Old Testament is really a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, we have his history on the earth. In the book of Acts, we see Christ active in the church through the Holy Spirit. The epistles then expand and exposit that and uh, gives us the, the experience and its relevance. But the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, is going to dramatize graphically Christ in glory. The great climax is what we're on the threshold of. The Old Testament says, Behold, he comes. The Gospels, Behold, he dies. And Acts, Behold, he lives in the church. Behold, he saves in the epistles. And we're going to see him reign. We're going to see him take over the earth and reign. Exciting times. Now, to whom is uh, this book given? Let's read the first sentence carefully. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. Whoops. Unto whom? Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to Jesus Christ. If it sounds rather strange, it's the Father revealing to the Son. That's astonishing. Many people are, uh, have read that and don't stop to realize what it's saying. Why did he give it to the Son? To show unto his servants things which must quickly come to pass. The word uh, uh, shortly there is not shortly like, like right now. It's quickly in the sense once it starts, it's going to come very quickly, to get suddenly. Shortly come to pass. It, it, the word is the same word in the Greek from which we get the word for tachometer on a car. And he sent and signified it, signified it, if you will. See, it's given to him and it's rendered into signs. He sent and signified it. By his angel unto his servant John. We're going to see a lot about angels. Angels are going to be very prominent in this book. Angels uh, of all different ranks. 
signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. We want to not lose sight of the fact that what we're seeing here is a record that John penned of what he actually saw. And he saw from a very astonishing point of view, which we'll take a look at. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the basic units of information. I have to apologize, that's been my technical background, but I think it's relevant to our study here. When we talk about the language, the basic unit in a written language, of course, is the alphabet. What, whatever language you have, the, the basic units typically are the letters of the alphabet. In sound, when I'm speaking to you, someone that would electronically analyze my sound would break it up in what's called phonemes the different sounds that make up the spoken language. Those are called phonemes. If we talk about images, this is a word most people have never heard of in the past, but most people today have heard it when you buy a camera or whatever, digital that is, you talk about pixels, the smallest unit of an image, if you will. What about meaning? There is a word in the information sciences called a semine. It's the basic unit of meaning. And that's exactly the word in the Greek that we have here where it speaks of a mark. Over 4,000, in fact, 45, almost 4,600 times in the Bible, we have a mark. Sometimes it's just a mark as you and I think of it simply, simplistically. Sometimes it's a, a seal. The word semim is a mark and it also is a basic unit of meaning. And uh, one of the things that galvanized me as a teenager, I was a Christian, I'd been saved, I'd gone to church, but I happened to attend a lecture by one that person that became a very dear friend as the years went by, in which he was speaking about Revelation in an evening series at a church. And he happened to open the series by pointing out that the book of Revelation is entirely in code, but every code is explained somewhere else in the Bible. Well, that grabbed me as a, as a guy that was just interested in information anyway. Uh, uh, in fact, made it my profession, really, in effect. But uh, the, uh, the fact that Revelation was in code is no surprise. Anyone that skimmed the book can get a little uncomfortable with the strange idioms there. But the fact that each one of those is explained somewhere in the scripture is the real point. And that, that will launch you on a treasure hunt. And that treasure hunt is the most exciting thing you'll ever do in your life. I had, I've had a life I've, I, I've been, uh, of, of uh, adventures. I won't bore you with my background, but, uh, but the Lord has put me in more different interesting places through my uh, uh, career that uh, I've always been uh, somehow developed an appetite or a passion for adventures in lots of different ways. But the most exciting of my entire life is the adventure we're going to embark on together. And that's a treasure hunt in the Word of God. And there's nothing more fun than to take something and start looking and have it all suddenly become clear. It's just, I think that's fun. The word semeno uh, uh, is a, uh, to give a sign or signify or indicate or to make known. And that's what these symbols or semims are in the Scripture. Now, the Apocalypse, or the book of Revelation, focuses, of course, as most of you realize, on the catastrophic end crisis of the present age. And uh, we're going to see the spectacular reappearance of the King of Kings in his global empire. We're going to see the internment of Satan at last. Not finally. He's going to be put away for a while in the Abuso. We're going to see the millennial earth reign of Jesus Christ. Now, some of these are controversial. I'll touch about that shortly. And... Uh, We'll see the final insurrection and the abolition of sin. And we'll see a new heaven and a new earth. It's interesting that the creation that is being redeemed is not just you and I and not just the planet earth. We're going to see a new heaven and a new earth, interestingly enough. 
And that's all uh, laid out in Isaiah and elsewhere, but climaxed here in this very book. But I want to call your attention to verse 3 of chapter 1 that we read just shortly ago. This is one of several reiterations of this promise in the book, but let's keep it in front of us. The Bible says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. I want you to notice it claims to be prophecy. It claims to be prophecy from end to end. In fact, the whole Bible is prophecy, but let's not go down that path. Here, we clearly, there are people that do not regard the book of Revelation as prophecy. Well, they're entitled to their view. I'm not here to create controversies, but I call your attention to the fact that it claims to be. And we need to keep that in focus as we go. Now, I realize that many of you are regulars and you know the basic premises of our ministry, but so that this discussion can reach those that are, have walked into our group for the first time, let me go back and cover some very basic presumptions on our part. The first discovery that we've made that is one of the foundation stones of our ministry is that this, the Bible, this collection of books that's in your lap, consists of 66 separate books that were penned by over 40 different guys over several thousand years. And the discovery that is, you have to make for yourself is that these 66 books, of these 66 books, they consist of a message system an integrated design. I don't just mean thematically. I don't just mean that there's themes in the old, fulfilled, the new. No, no, much more than that. Is that every number, every place name, the very structure of the text itself, even the mathematical structures underneath the text, demonstrate very skillful engineering. That's the first discovery. The second discovery, when you've gone that far, is you can demonstrate that the origin of that message system had to come from outside time. Because the very structure anticipates things before they happen. And as you begin to realize that, that will change your entire perspective of the Bible. That we have a message system, very skillfully engineered, from outside our space-time. And once you discover that, it changes your whole approach, perspective, and so forth. It has a central theme. The Old Testament, of course, is primarily an account of a nation. The New Testament is the account of a man. The creator of the universe became a man. And his appearance as a man is the central point, uh, turning point of all history. And he died to purchase you and me. And he's alive today. The astonishing thing isn't just that the creator became a man. The more astonishing thing is that there is a man on the throne of God as we speak this evening. And our most exalted privilege is to know him. And that's what the Bible's all about. And that's what the book of Revelation specifically focuses on. In fact, the book of Revelation will become a lens through which we'll look at the rest of the whole Bible. And if we, if we do it diligently, it will it'll be full of surprises. Let's talk about some of our presuppositions, just to make sure you know where I'm coming from. It doesn't mean you have to agree with me. There are many good people that have very different views on some of the things we're going to talk about. But at the same time, I want you to understand where we're coming from and more importantly, why. We believe God means what he says and says what he means. And uh, the Bible is an integrated whole. Every detail is there by design. And Jesus so declared it. I remember when I first, one of the early stages in Israel, I remember I came across this strange proverb by the rabbi, say that we really won't understand the passages in the scripture uh, until the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, he'll interpret not only the passages, the very words, the very letters, he'll even interpret the spaces between the letters. And when I, when I first heard that, I used to uh, uh, 
be kind of amused. I thought it was just a colorful exaggeration. There are many of those you run into, of course. Um, but then I read Matthew 5, 17, 18, where Jesus himself says that, uh, think not that I come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. I come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, one yard or one, uh, one, one tittle shall not pass away from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, a yacht and a tittle are Hebraisms. A yacht uh, is one of the smallest of the 22 Hebrew letters. It looks like a little apostrophe. On the paper, it's almost like a little blemish. It's the little mark. A tittle is the little hook on some of the letters, the, the perception of which are essential to discern the difference of some of these letters that look alike otherwise. A little tittle. So a yacht and a tittle is equivalent sort of to you and I saying, not the crossing of the T or a dotting of an I shall pass till all be fulfilled. That, that's a call by Jesus himself to take the text seriously. And uh, now, I'm also going to suggest that nothing in the text is trivial. That's just as true of Leviticus as it is of Revelation. In Revelation, it become clearer because they'll leave out at you. In some of the other places in the Bible, you see these things, they sound like they, well, they're trivial little byproducts. No. You're going to, one of the great discoveries as you study your Bible seriously is that there's nothing in there trivial. Everything there is for our learning. That's what Paul tells you in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. And God is his own interpreter. God is his own interpreter. Most of the passage, the, the, uh, the critical identities... Okay, so remember his, um, on YouTube, you can go listen to the whole thing of it. Um, you could just look up Chuck Missler Revelation Session 1 Introduction, and it's like an hour and 20 minutes, so you might break it into bite-sized pieces. But I thought I'd throw that out there because I've thrown other people out there, and I really like that he's like, you know what, there is all these different interpretations, because you hear, I've shared on my podcast, other people interpretation, and they're advocate that they're correct. He doesn't not advocate that he's correct. I like the humbleness of his preaching and said, um, you, I just, I, I actually just enjoy his theology and his study. And he's like, go do it yourself. And then he describes later listening to him how to go and do it yourself. I will have a notepad and if something jumps out at you and he says, you know, it, it won't be understood unless it's with the Holy Spirit and you know Christ as your Savior. If you don't, this is going to be gibberish to you. So that's an interesting also concept when it comes to reading the book of Revelations and knowing what's going on in the world. If you don't know Jesus, then God, it's got to be very bleak, very bleak, very dark, because it is. What's happening right now is very bleak, very dark. And if you know Jesus, then you've seen four things taken out that are going to happen. They say they're going to happen and it's happening. And that's why I'm like, I'm going to share more and more of this on my podcast because I'm like, hello, I want you to wake up to know Jesus. And I want you to wake up to know that you have a savior in all of this. And I want you to know that um, he's in control and that you can put your life in his hands and you can trust in him and making decisions for your life because we're all going to die someday. And, but our souls live on either heaven and hell. And I've had conversations with people who don't believe that. Um, but I've also been in the situations where I've seen so much death in my career. And I've been privileged to God have me privileged to feel the presence of angels. Have I seen angels? Possibly. Have you seen angels? Probably. Have we witnessed demons working? 
possibly they're showing their face quite literally we live in a very two-dimensional world and people don't they only see one dimension and not seeing the spiritual dimension of what's happening right now so that's why i'm like i'm going to explore that i'm also you know that's holistically we i care about your mind body soul and spirit then i also give you little things that are going to be caring for your body but if we don't care for your soul then what good is your body your body is going to die eventually one way or another either we go through the rapture if that's what these people if you believe or you will physically die nobody lives forever in this physical body um and you either go to heaven or hell that's what i see and that's what i believe and i want to know that your soul is going where it's supposed to go so i pray for you that you are open to um, the knowledge of all that and maybe that you can um, share this um, very deep this was a very deep episode lots of content and uh, i hope it comes on listening ears that ears to hear and ears to understand and ears to be prayerful and if you want to do anything ever for me, you can pray for me. And if you want to support anything I'm doing, it's all below. But prayer is always the best support anybody could ever get. I believe he answers prayers, and I've seen him answer prayers. And I, someday I'll talk about some of the ways that he's answered prayers. And I still have prayers that are not answered, and I don't understand that. But they're very deep emotional prayers to people. And all I can do is trust and have faith that he hears what I'm saying and he loves me regardless of what sins and outcomes and I can't do anything to earn my salvation so I hope you dive into the word and I hope that you indwell in that and I hope you're doing something amazing for your mind body soul and spirit and that you're unplugging from all the crap and plugging into him 